happened when the cannibal was late to dinner? He was hungry. No, they gave her the cold shoulder. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the... Did you have that prepared? No. <laughs> this is the Jackass Critics Podcast, and we're doing a special date night edition. You can giggle. You have to do that word. Oh, no, this is great. And that joke you just heard was from our special guest for this podcast, the lovely Andrea, my, my lovely girlfriend. And this is Jackass Matt from the Jackass Critics Podcast. So we decided to go see Gone Girl last night. Is that a fair statement? That is fair. Okay. Don't hold me in check. <laughs> and uh, we were so excited about it that we wanted to chat about it and give our perspectives on what we saw and uh, what we thought about it. It's date night edition. Special date night edition. Jackass Critics Podcast. It should be some special. Do, 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 do. We'll, we'll cut some music in there. I think Something different than our normal ditties. <laughs> yep. Um, so Gone Girl is a new movie from director David Fincher from a book by Julian Flynn. And you, being a well-read individual, had read the book beforehand. Yes, I had. And what were your thoughts and ideas going into the movie before we actually saw it? Well, I had also voraciously read everything that had been written about Gone Girl before I saw it. So I was really excited okay. to see a bunch of the ways that David Fincher handled the, the storyline. Some of the crazy storyline that happens. Yes, and I had heard that Gillian Flynn had written a really good screenplay, mm -hmm. which I would also have agreed with. Yes. And I also spent a lot of time reading about how David Fincher was very influenced by Hitchcock, so yes. I was looking for all the Hitchcock illusions Okay, the time. okay. Now, what did you think of the book itself before you realized? I assume you read the book before you knew it was even a movie. Cause yes, I, I read the book when it very, very, very first came out. Yes. It was... Um, I forget when it came out, but... 2012, apparently. 2012. Okay, so it was listed on all the, like, must-summer reads okay. and everyone's summer reading list. So I definitely read it in the summer. It was definitely a beach read. And then I promptly read everything else she wrote, which was only two other books at the okay. time. Um, and uh, it was a obviously a fascinating plotline to start with, which yep. is this idea, you know, of, like, this sort of Scott Peterson-esque disappearing life that sort of takes over the national imagination and we're all armchair detectives trying to figure it out and it's all over the tabloids and sort of media circus bless you don't mind dash the dog in the background here dash the dog's really excited the to third be wheel <laughs> yeah and uh so obviously the premise was really interesting and um are we allowed to do spoilers we're um, gonna do spoilers everybody spoiler so alert. it's already over with yeah it's over yep. so just stop listening i'm yeah. so sorry it was um should we should we segue into my um feelings about spoilers sure let's talk about that okay let's, so let's... briefly i don't believe that spoilers ruin anything really i really don't now you sent me an article beforehand about the uh Hitchcockian aspects of, mm -hmm. of uh, Gone Girl, which I refused to read since it was tagged with spoilers right away. That's so right. tell me why I would not have spoiled myself if I had read those, or am I just an adult that I should be able to handle reading those details beforehand? So I don't remember the actual study, but at some point I came across this study where they okay. had spoiled on purpose okay. um, the you know endings or whatever, and people still had a ton of enjoyment. From the viewing experience. Would you have been happy if you knew Bruce Willis was a ghost at the beginning of Six Sense? I did know Bruce Willis was a ghost. And did you still enjoy yourself? I still enjoyed myself. 
Okay, I, I love spoilers. I always read the recaps. Like, I wait to watch, for instance, Game of Thrones, which I've tried to read the book a number of times, but I can't. Okay. I can't keep track of the characters, and I yes. just give up. All right. So this is too much work. Here's an important question to ask since we're talking about this. What? Did, did you always want to know what your Christmas gifts were before Christmas Day? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we were onto something there, because I really didn't want to know. I thought the, the surprise was part of the fun. Mm-mm. I like reading all the recaps before I watch the shows. I think there's some correlation between the uh, Christmas gift idea and, or gift idea in general. And if there's a book and a movie, I always read the book before I watch the movie. See, now I'm the exact opposite. As soon as they make a movie, I figure that's one less book I have to read in my life. So (laughs) it saves me all those hours. I will say there's one exception, which was Jurassic Park, which my dad told me was way better if you just saw the movie. Really? It's the movie. And so I did. I That's a that fairly advice. celebrated book. Now, did you read the book afterwards? No, I'd never read the book. Then. Okay, you just, just take stuff at Crichton. That's what I said. Yeah, all right. Yes. He's okay. got enough money and he's dead, so. It's true. Okay, so let's talk about your impressions of the film then. So we've talked about what you thought of the book a little bit. Yeah, we didn't get to the part where I talked about the book, actually. Okay, well, tell me what you thought about I the book. Because I got on a segue. You did? I got on a well, segue. It's true, because you, you were not totally impressed with the book. The book, the second half of the book, after the big reveal, yeah. which is the spoiler, which is that <gasps> you, you're you reading out there, <gasps> and here's this guy Nick Dunn, and his beautiful wife Amy is missing, and you hear from her diary, and then... Uh, you really are not sure what's happening and you really think she might be dead and then it's revealed Amy is a psychopath Yeah. and she has faked her own death to get back at her cheating husband um, so that he'll get the death penalty Yeah. as revenge. That's total revenge. The first half is really just a police procedural. It's mm-hmm. uh, Law and Order-esque. It's very well done, but it's two different movies kind of in one. It really right. does completely convert into a different movie for the second half. And the same thing was true for and the book. book. Yeah. Uh, except for that the second, the at the post, when you find Reveal. out Amy is a psychopath part, yes, that part goes on forever yeah. in the book. It really drags in the book. So it was they did definitely handle that a lot better in the film than in the novel, I would say. That's interesting. Because I, after the reveal happened, I thought we had probably 20 more minutes worth of movie ahead of us. Because I thought the police procedural part was, it seemed like a solid hour and a half of movie. And it was very well done. I liked it quite a bit. It got so dark in the second half, which we'll get into. That started depressing me, but uh, <laughs> Matt was really sad. I, I had a sad night. Aww. My cry pillow got a lot of tears, but Aww. that's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Date night disturbance. Yes, it, it happens. <laughs> yeah, so it started out so pleasant. The date night idea. Uh, so the second half kind of dragged for you, and you found yeah. it just to be a bit much. But you found the movie to be better in that respect. Yes, and Gillian okay. Flynn did do the screenplay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She did the adaptation. For being a relative newcomer, I guess, mm-hmm. with only three books under her belt. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool for Mr. Fincher and them to work together. Yes. Yeah. All right. So we go into the movie, and it starts. And what did you think of Rosamund Pike and Ben Affleck in their roles? Was that what you imagined when you read the book and what you had thought? Oh, Rosamund Pike was seriously a good casting call. Yes. She was perfect. She really didn't come into her own until the second half of the movie, since she was just kind of a figure piece That's right. for the she most was, part until then. But she, Yeah, she, at the beginning of the movie, is definitely sort of this blank slate that everybody projects their perfect ideal of a wife onto. Sure. Which is actually part of her devious planning. Big time. <laughs> because she actually is very attuned to that. And so she is creating this sort of fictionalized, angelic angel in the house. 
it's almost by the end she embraces it though she mm-hmm. completely says that her and Ben Affleck Nick, Nick. Uh, just want to play the part of being the perfect couple and they were both at their best when they were pretending to be that couple that's right um, not to completely jump to the end but I did yes um so is it better to be the thing or pretend to be the thing? Uh, I guess that is the great question. and Probably being the thing like is not. better because you don't accidentally slit anyone's throats or send people to jail. Considering how dark and terrible all the people involved <laughs> in the movie were, I think it was better when they were the thing. And Nick was an asshole, but at least he wasn't pretending to be yeah miserable. He was yes. miserable when he was pretending. At least he was just a somewhat happy, miserable asshole when he was himself. That's true. All right, so, and uh, I have another question. Since every time I see Tyler Perry in a movie, I kind of roll my eyes and have a chuckle since he's a very diverse individual. Mm-hmm. What, what did you think of the casting of Tyler Perry in the uh, I liked Tyler Perry. The lawyer role. He was the, he was the celebrity lawyer that swooped in with his $100,000 retainer. retainer. Which <laughs> seemed to get eaten up really quick when they were all around in Cadillacs everywhere. That's right. And he's flying everywhere and has yep. a press corps and two Secret Service guys on. Yes, two ex-Secret Service to track her down. Yeah, I thought that retainer would um, get eaten up And quick. he just totally bought it. He thought it was hilarious that she had framed Nick and he has, could, he just. He's the foil was, in the story, kind of. He like, really I, thought that. That was a plausible... He's kind of our voice, it seems like, where he's saying, you're you're so crazy, this is nuts, what are you people doing? But he totally buys into it. Almost too much. I mean, obviously he's seen a lot, but he really is the voice of the audience, it seems like, because he's bought in, he knows everything that we know, and he buys into it, and he's saying what we're kind of thinking about how crazy this whole situation is. Yeah. But he's done so many crazy movies, it's kind of hard. He's done the action movies, and... Obviously, a lot of Tyler Perry movies, so... But don't all those celebrity lawyers seem like caricatures of themselves? That's true. So I feel like it's okay that he was a caricature. That's true. The news himself. cycle has pumped those guys and Yes, I mean, into... they don't even seem as if they're real people. They're they seem people. that they're already so fake. Fictional so, characters, you know. Yes, that I think that his fakeness sort of worked for him. I think he only gave one piece of lawyerly advice the yeah. entire time, which was... You are not a handwriting expert. So. <laughs> that was, that was the, yeah, very that was, like, serious. The only time he was actually a lawyer, yeah. like behaved in that capacity. That was the meaty part of the role, right Other there. Other than that, I really didn't see much lawyering happening. Yeah. 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 Okay. Except for he did this, you know, he set up the interview, which was a super important plot point because it brought Amy back. Yes. Yes. So as we were driving home last night, we were discussing some of the differences between the books, and I had talked about. Uh, Again, here comes a spoiler, but I thought the parents would be more involved in the mm-hmm. um, in Amy's plot. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that the parents were much more involved in the books and yes. much more developed as a character. Well, I mean, it's it of course is you're looking at this woman who's faking her own death, and she actually becomes a murderess, and um, she is manipulating everybody in the film. You wonder what could make someone that way, yeah. of course. And in the book, that is a and it's I don't actually think it's a very good explanation I think Gillian Flynn has said that she just wanted to make a terrifying female and so um, not really having a strong explanation for that was part of it that that makes it even more mysterious yeah Yeah, it makes it even more frightening if they could just arise from nowhere but in the book you kind of attribute it to her parents which they're very self-absorbed they're in the book especially you can they do this in the movie by the parents are always sort of touching each other and they're Mm. and they're very together and even um amy's when nick proposes to her is at a book 
event that her parents are throwing. So they have this book line called Amazing Amy. Uh-huh. And we hear at this book party that, you know, when Amy quit the cello, then the next year Amazing Amy, you know, becomes a child prodigy on the cello. Mm-hmm. And when Amy's cut from the volleyball team, then the next year Amazing, Amazing Amy. Amy. Yep, she does great at volleyball. And here it's, they're trying to re- you know, invigorate the series. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, we're, we find out later that they actually have a lot of money troubles, and so that causes some friction in her own marriage. Um, and so this launch party that she brings Nick to is for Amazing Amy getting married, and so poor Amy has to sit and talk to the press. Bloggers. The, yes, and the bloggers. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah. Bloggers. Taking hits left and right. And they're so mean to her. I was saying, how does it feel to have amazing Amy getting married and you're not married? You spinster. You spinster. Cat lady, go knit something. Oh, yes. how can you not be married at this yeah. point? Yeah, 30-year-old something. I think she was 27 in that oh, part. 27 go. or 20. She didn't even 30 yet, and they're freaking out. Yes. She's like... The hottest girl in the room. Well, she's <laughs> hardly amazing if she's not married. I guess not. Had the marriage identifier. I know. Then who is so, she? So thank goodness Nick swoops in. Yeah. And he proposes. Delivers the final piece of the puzzle. Thank God. Yeah. And so she's finally married and mm-hmm. everything is perfect. But yeah, so that becomes an important plot point too in the development of both Nick and Amy individually and as the character of their marriage, I guess. Yeah. You think of the marriage as another character. Yeah. Um, that her parents, after, you know, sort of, pl- as Nick says, plagiarizing her childhood. Yeah. Then have money trouble and have to take back her trust fund. Yeah. Yeah, I which thought... Which causes all these money problems. I mean, the movie's quite long, so they probably were just in cutting out the development of the parent storyline, but... Um, they are creepy people, and it does lead to a creepy daughter. So you do get that sense in a little bit that you do see, so that's fair enough. Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of two halves of movie, as we talked about. And the beginning half is a police procedural. So really, you don't get a lot of Amy, per se, in that first half. Um, it's a lot of Nick, because Amy goes missing pretty much immediately right in the first scene. Yeah. Uh, you get a lot of Nick, and then it's the police. So we've got the uh, female detective, mm-hmm. Detective Bun or something to that effect. And her goofy sidekick partner guy. Yeah. And those really are the main characters, along with Margot, Nick's sister. His uh, twin sister. Twin sister. The twin cest. Yes. And the, the words twin cest come out, which is it's horrifying. permanently in my lexicon yep. for the rest of my yep. life. I'll be <laughs> dropping twin cest jokes at inappropriate times for certain. It's horrible. Um, but we get Amy's character through her diary entries. Yes. In that section. Which turns out to be an unreliable narrator to some degree. Dun, dun, dun. But then again, Amy's crazy, so really it's all unreliable. Even when she's talking, who knows if it's true or not. <clears throat> so what did you think about those characters in that part of the movie? I know I was a fan of the female police detective. I thought she was really the only redeemable person in the whole movie for the most part. Mm-hmm. Even her dunce cop partner I particularly didn't like. He was mm-hmm. a bit goofy. The two, Andy Griffith for my taste. But, yeah, uh, he really was. <laughs> uh, what did you think about that half versus the second half? Uh, no, I definitely liked the procedural part, and it was also my favorite part of the book, too. I thought it was really had legs. Yeah. I thought that that was interesting, but I will watch Law & Order marathons myself. Yes. Yeah. Um, I watch pretty much any procedural. I watch Scandal. I watch The Good <laughs> Wife. I love those procedurals. Right. So that just, like, that is my, my happy place, for yeah. sure. I found it satisfying enough that, I, like I said, when it was 
over. I was like, I was like, okay, twenty more minutes to wrap this up, and that was that was a satisfying <laughs> movie. I was satisfied, but there's a whole lot more movie left. There's a whole lot more movie left. It was long. It was a long movie, and then we switch gears with the big reveal, which we've already revealed many times before, and we kind of really start to seeing Amy for the true nuttiness that's going on here. Yeah. Um, Amy starts packing on the pounds, changing her entire look. So much product placement. A lot of product. I mean, we stopped and got 12 packs of Kit Kats on the ride home. So. Yes, there was a lot of Kit Kats and Fritos. Oh. Um, and then our detective always had Dunkin' Donuts in her hand. Yes. Always. Lots of coffee, lots of donuts. Lots of coffee. It was straight out of Twin Peaks. She was drinking so much coffee. I thought it was a parody of Agent Cooper. She was like, why is she always holding it right next to her head? In a the, giant cup. Giant cup. Dunkin' Donuts yes. coffee. Yeah. Who doesn't drink 32 ounces of Dunkin' Donuts coffee 24 hours a day? It's true. She's showing up well, at midnight and mornings. And she ha- she has an ex husband, so she she's oh. yeah, she does. Di- so her sidekick does not. He has a wife and yes. has to go home too, so she's extra dedicated. Okay, that's true. There we go. Well, yes. if Tracy thinks he's guilty, then he must be guilty. That's uh, right. Right from the movie. All right. Yeah. Uh, so we see Crazy Amy, and she goes off into the hillbilly backwoods to try to lay low for a while oh, while nice. her plan is kind of unfolding. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting. She doesn't really initially dial in to what's going on with the Nick Dunn story and is that just to show her dedication and craft do you think or what I mean it's a while before she even sees what's going on you'd think you'd be intimately interested in what is going on with the plot that you've unfolded yeah. yeah she yeah you see her with her calendar mm-hmm. um, with these little sticky notes of daily duties mm-hmm. to sort of keep the police line of inquiry going forward and uh, you know she yeah she doesn't really follow the media circus initially Surprising. but she does go online and posts you know the anonymous comments on the on whatever her name what yeah. is the findamazingamy.com no it was the <laughs> news lady who Oh yeah. What was I can't remember her name now. Something Elliot. No. Yeah, who's supposed to be? Who's the lady on TV that does all those? Nancy Grace. Nancy Grace. The right. Nancy Grace. The Nancy standard. Grace character. Yes. That's who I'm talking about. So. Yes. Yeah. So she goes online and posts anonymously on the Nancy Grace character. Okay. Web page and stuff. So she has some of that set up, but yes, as the circus continues, yeah. she does tune in a little bit more. Yeah. Obviously. So. And leading into this, we find out that. Amy has had two, not indiscretions, but incidents in her past that uh, her parents know about and Nick know about uh, with two of her previous suitors, if you will, Uh, one of which did some time for raping her Mm -hmm. and one of which was accused of stalking her and having a restraining order order, all that sort of good Mm -hmm. stuff. So Nick, in turn, goes out to try to talk to these gentlemen to see what's going on. Um, This is after Nick realizes that Amy... At first, Nick is clueless. He doesn't realize this is Amy's plot, but he catches on pretty quickly as more of the attention centers on him. Yeah. And uh, so once he realizes that he's innocent and he's retained Tyler Perry, he decides to investigate the pattern of behavior yeah. of Amy. Yeah. Um, right out of the men's rights activists fear nightmare mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. a woman <laughs> claiming rape and claiming being stalked yeah. as a way to gain power over the poor men in her life. So around this point in time we're presented with two ideas which I had trouble comprehending both being true. 
which we talked about a little bit last night, and you can explain it to me and to our listening audience. <laughs> so on one hand, we're presented with this idea that Amy has manipulated possibly three men at this point in time right. with these long-term running plans and ruined their lives and gotten them jail sentences. And mm-hmm. we're, we're heading towards a death penalty for poor Nick mm-hmm. because she's such a master manipulator, mm-hmm. and presumably she loves to do this to men. She loves to destroy men's lives. But at the same point in time, we're presented with Amazing Amy's calendar, where in order to screw Nick over to the nth degree, because she need, there needs to be a body, she's going to truly kill herself and throw herself and drown herself in a river uh, in order to screw Nick over. And I thought those two ideas were starkly contrasting each other, that they didn't logically follow. Right. What Are we led to believe that maybe the rapist guy actually did? raper and that is a possibility and or what what am i supposed to deduce from that or did the book color that more well yeah i think that um you know in amy's plotting she decides that she's gonna that killing herself would be the perfect ending to the story but then when she's faced with that reality yeah she has a way stronger self-preservation instinct than that so in the book you were not supposed to deduce that anything bad happens um except for with the guy who she ends up neil patrick harris's um character Character. who she slits his throats he's creepy totally creepy he is well executed very creepy and in the book he's very creepy too so you know, I did really wonder about him if maybe part of the situation was with him that maybe maybe something bad really did happen to her. And that yeah. was in high school, you know, kind of her, around her adolescence. So psychologically, you kind of wonder if that yeah, maybe there's something her. creepy did happen with sure. him. Um, but definitely with the second guy who she faked the rape with. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're definitely supposed to feel bad for him. Okay. So did you really believe at some point in the movie or in the book that she was going to kill herself? Because I didn't think that that for a second she was going to do that. No, I really saw it as uh, a writerly instinct that she got very caught up in her own story. Yeah. And that she really did think that the best, you know, conclusion would be to kill herself. And, you know, it's very dramatic. It is. It's very dramatic conclusion if she had done that. I mean, obviously, Nick... There would have been nothing for Nick. Yeah. You know, that would have been it. Nick would have been sent up the river. Death penalty, pregnant woman. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been bad. Pregnant wife, his beautiful Amy. They were on his head on a platter for sure. And if they had found her body, that would have been it. And so um, I think for her that that was a very attractive idea. But then when faced with the reality of it, she just really didn't want anything to do with that. She was probably thinking about the amazing Amy character being killed as right. killing self. As yeah, she didn't to really. A, yeah, I when think... your own self is getting your oxygen rubbed out of your lungs. Right, and then also Nick doesn't respond the way she expects. Yeah, and so that really changes the narrative for her. So when he starts responding to her narrative mm-hmm. by going on television and saying exactly what he knows she wants to hear, mm-hmm. then that changes things for her it because does. he is. He is being the man she wants him to be. Yes. So she sees exactly how much power she has, and she gets very swept up in the new narrative yes. that she spins, which yeah. is completely out of control. Bonkers. Totally it's bonkers. completely bonkers. And it's a little hard to continue to suspend belief in that. Yes. I found in the book and in the movie, by the time she's going to creepy Neil Patrick Harris, yeah. because she's so dumb that she gets all her money stolen. Yes. So I found that really 
wrong too. Like really, this person has been, you know, hanging out with the homeless people, and in the book, there's there we see in the movie. So there, there's this issue with the economy. So Jillian Flynn was really hitting on the recession, and so there's an abandoned mall where Amy tries to buy a gun, and that's really like that was way too over the top. Completely as well. random in yeah. the movie, but in the book, that's I mean, she hangs out there. Okay, interesting. She really gets in on in the criminal underworld. I mean, she's. Yeah. really chilling at the abandoned mall with all the homeless meth addicts and okay. stuff. And so um, in the book I found it really like, would she really get her money stolen like that? I, I'm not sure. For as crafted out mm. as her plan was, that She's, was, a mo- I mean obviously everybody's going to slip up momentarily, but it was an extremely convenient place and time and whatnot. Right, so because she is penniless now and she needs to figure out how to get back to Nick mm-hmm. because she sees that he's you know, responding to her narrative with his own narrative, yeah. and that's very enticing for her. Yeah. She goes back to her this high school creeper um, to save her, and then he kind of holds her. <laughs> he really it takes does. Turn. It's great. He does kind of hold her hostage. I mean, in her of defense, course. I mean, he really has her hidden up in his lake house because she's crafted this whole story that she Nick was abusing her. Yeah. And then she pulls her rape trick again almost right out of the other guy's playbook. It's true, it's true. And then slits his throats. Now, if uh, the Neil Patrick Harris storyline didn't happen, if she had managed to keep her money bag and go on, she still would have seen Nick's pleas that would have been right up her alley. Do you think she would have gone back to him still then? Or being boxed into the corner without any money, is that what led her to go back to Nick with his... uh, story what do you what do you think about that yeah if she hadn't lost her money yeah i think really she had to lose her money in order to get her back to nick there's no other way i agree she could have gotten back to nick yeah she what she has to explain away her disappearance in a way that doesn't make her a jerk and so it's it's pretty convenient it does all work out very well Mm -hmm. yeah but she is crafty enough she could have come up with another excuse possibly probably she's pretty creative she is pretty creative yeah but i think probably i kind of imagine jillian flynn like getting halfway through her novel and Amy's disappeared and she's trying to make she knows she wants to make this creepy character and mm-hmm. I feel like maybe Jillian Flynn's like okay now I've written her she's lost her money now what am I gonna do yeah and like I kind of feel like there's this like you can hear Jillian Flynn's gears turning yeah, <laughs> in sure. her mind trying to get Amy back to Nick in a way that is terrifying where she can sort of hold Nick hostage in a situation too yeah so okay uh, now, I found the soundtrack to be completely unnerving. It really was part of the thing that really disturbed me. Did, did uh, the weird noises that were happening and uh, all that sort of stuff, it, it did not... If it anybody was, listens to that just on speakers while they're working or something, they're crazy. I don't like it. It was very, like, atonal, um, non-melodic, mm-hmm. sort of nails on chalkboard. Yeah. I mean, it really was not soothing at any point. I uh, was reading the wiki page before we started, and Fincher said he told uh, Trent Reznor. Oh, it was that, Trent Reznor. Yes, and Atticus <laughs> Finch so or whatever his buddy, uh, <laughs> that he he was inspired by going to a chiropractor who he thought was inauthentically trying to heal him. Wow. Which I thought was a very fitting sort of statement. No, yes. no offense, chiropractors. I know we're huge in the chiropractor industry with the Jackass Critics podcast, so we still love you guys and gals <laughs> out there. We Keep believe, on cracking. We believe you're authentically trying to heal us. <laughs> well, you know that there's some snake oil salesmen out there. There's a few of them, of course. Yeah. Um, so what else do we do we think about the movie? What else? Uh, anything else that we needed to touch upon? I got some notes. Yeah, more notes. Yeah. Oh, well, we, we talked about David Fincher. Your David favorite David Fincher movie? The Seven. Seven. Yes, and for sure. Any fond memories of your first Seven watching? Um, 
they involve illicit substances. <laughs> <laughs> it was super gross. Yeah. It was gross. Very intense. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, David Fincher was, is, I, he's really talented. Yeah. Yeah, he really gets in your head. Like, you really feel him under your skin, I think. Oh, I know. Yeah. We were, you, when we were driving home, you said that was a very misogynistic movie, and I kind of disagreed with you. Yes, you did. So let's talk about that a little bit. Well, because you disagreed because you said there's no redeeming male characters either. That's correct. Which is true, which I did not think of initially, yeah. because I'm so used to looking... Through the at, prism, yeah. Yeah, at the, at the prism, because I was concerned that, you know, you have... Uh, well, it started with a lot of women were writing about the comparisons between Gone Girl being sort of like the frightening woman of the tens mm-hmm. as compared to the 80s yeah. where you had uh, Fatal Attraction. Okay. So there was a lot of comparisons between Fatal Attraction and Gone Girl where you have this sort of like psycho, just psychotic woman. Yeah. Just terrifyingly psychotic. and it, Very easy to describe or right. to and deduce. So, into... so in Fatal Attraction... It is the, um, you know, the perfect wife at home Mm -hmm. who kills the pregnant mistress. Oh. And she's the one who saves the day. Yeah. And here we have the perfect wife. Yeah. Who is also the terrifying everything. All wrapped up into one. All wrapped up into one terrifying (laughs) package. She clips coupons and can murder I mean, and her house is beautiful. Yeah. I mean, everything is, it looks just your perfect. wife is amazing amy right Everyone's so amazing and you know like the just the decorating and the way she dresses and you know she's very just picture perfect picture perfect yeah. picture perfect and so um so i was kind of thinking that was in my head definitely yeah when i was watching it and i was noting <clears throat> that the only redeeming characters were women and yeah, it's thank true you. women yes. they were women but yes. they were also sexless yes. women yes so we have our you know, sort of androgynous, hard-charging... Divorce, divorced divorcee. detective. Yeah, yes. divorced detective. Loved, married to her work. Married to her work and the Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Yeah. Yes. And then you have Margot, the twin sister. Yeah. Also married to her work. Yeah. She owns the bar with Nick Dunn. Yeah. And also sexless. Yes. And very androgynous. You know, she's... Even in the in the near final scene, though, we show men all being we got a, a huge pack of male detectives and our female detective interviewing right. the bl- still bloodied by the way, which is completely ridiculous. Right. Amy. Yes. Uh, and Amy is and heavily doped up, but still easily manipulating this entire pack of male detectives with hundreds of years of detective experience. Oh, I feel faint, officer, with her sweet little southern, or like New York draw or whatever. It was so ridiculous. All right, little lady, quit asking questions, female detective. You because the female detective's on to her skin or whatever. Of course, she's in the back, and you can hardly see her face. Yes, they even didn't even light her. It was crazy. Yes, and male male uh, doctors as well. Yes, all around exactly, just surrounded by. Yep. See, so dudes are dum-dums, which yes. is really pretty much a true statement. So that That's is, true. The that men is... are playing pretty poorly in the yeah. movie. Yeah. So I thought yeah. that was at least worth pointing out. Yeah. I believe it, um, I, does it pass the Bechdel test? Which is? Where you have two female characters who talk to each other without, about something other than a man. Oh. Uh, no, that never happens. I don't think that you have two female characters talking to each other no. about some, something other than a man. Margot and the detective are alone very briefly. I was thinking about when she's in the Ozarks, but they are still talking about a man. Yeah. They're talking about getting beaten by men. They're talking about the other dude who ends up stealing Amy's money. Yeah, not a very nice. Doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Does not. All right. 
It's official. It's official. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and uh, we were talking about Fincher movies, and I was running down the list of ones that I know, and I forgot his last movie, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Oh, right. I would say there's a ton of similarities in terms of just the human condition, which Mm -hmm. is something I was saying often. Right. You're definitely going to feel grim about the the human beings after either movie. Yes. Because apparently people are, everybody's terrible. Everybody is terrible. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big bummer. Totally a big bummer. It's a big bummer. For sure. I mean, we didn't talk about the Hitchcock. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have the. Not subtle. Not subtle at all. The opening image and closing image is on the back of Amy's head. Yes. And you can't really tell what's happening. Mm -hmm. The back of Amy's head. Is she dead? Yeah. What's happening? And he's talking kind of violently about you kind of want to crack open her skull to see what she's thinking. Uh-huh. Which at the beginning of the movie sort of is like... This Sets out, you up with this. Right. Yeah. Do you ever really know the person you're married to? Oh my god! Yeah. It's actually a terrible date movie. A terrible date movie. Absolutely terrible. Because every... <laughs> Side note, <laughs> every base, the David Fincher, what makes everything so creepy is that he's using all these traditional romantic gestures and they're all tainted yeah. by how freaking terrifying Amy is and yes. how she can manipulate those. Yes. And so... Um, Though Nick's guilty of manipulating as well, as yes, we find out. Nick is definitely. He with the sugar... Yeah, I mean, he definitely is playing a role and yes. not being very genuine for a lot of it. Because he's cheating on Amy, which is what sets the whole thing off. Is that, and he, he, he uses his same moves on the mistress, which Amy witnesses. Yes, conveniently, <laughs> but conveniently. I guess it's inevitably going to happen when you're an I'm, idiot that's cheating. So. That's right. Uh, Nick doesn't seem like he'd have a whole ton of moves. No, that's true as well. He writes for a men's magazine, after all. Ouch. You know, there's a lot of good writers that probably write for, for, for the Men's Magazine. For the, yeah, of course. Uh, they do kind of portray him to be a dummy, which is funny that he figures it out so quick, I guess, yeah. is the excuse that he knows his... But he doesn't really know his wife because he doesn't has no idea how manipulative and crazy she is. Yeah. So I, I did find that kind of strange as well. Yeah. But we also have a, a, a shower scene shower reminiscent scene. of yep. a psycho, obviously, where we see... The blood circling down the drain and all sorts yep. of fun stuff like that Amy, as well. Amy covered in, covered in blood, blood circling down the drain. I was thinking, oh god, I can't remember which Hitchcock movie this is. In the bed with um, Neil Patrick Harris, made me think of that other one. I can't think. We need all the Hitchcock movies up. Is it Marnie? Yes, Tippy Hedren is Marnie, a compulsive thief. Who attempts to rob her boss, but instead ends up marrying him. Is that the one with Paul Newman? Yeah. It's not with um, Sean Connery. Oh. Yeah. That was the one I was thinking of. I felt like that one, maybe a little bit. Had some... Uh... Yeah, the bed scene made me think of Marnie. Okay. About And I could definitely see some Marnie illusions, because she's obviously manipulating someone into marrying her and that kind of thing. Yeah, so. yeah. So Fincher loves Hitchcock. Fincher loves some Hitchcock. Oh well, you could choose from a lot worse sources to draw inspiration from. That's true. They must have, even while reading the book, I imagine he was coming across these ideas of how to pull in the cinematography from some Hitchcock films. I don't know. I didn't really see a lot of Hitchcock versions <clears throat> in the book necessarily. Yeah. Okay. But I think visual. When you think about it, translating it visually, obviously Hitchcock was so the, influential. And yeah, it's the suspense, right? It's the suspense. Like, is Nick gonna end up? 
you know, going to jail forever? Is he going to get the death penalty? What's Amy going to do next? Yeah. yeah. The suspense is where the book is really best. And I think that he leveraged that really well. So, yeah. of course, like looking at Hitchcock, who's seriously the master of suspense. Although Fincher's getting up there, man. With, I mean, he's. Delivering really, some good flicks. He can work some suspense for sure. Well, Hitchcock always had the MacGuffin, you know, the sort of uh, outstanding idea that never was discussed. So initially, I guess, really, the the big idea is, is Nick going to go to jail? Is Nick going to get die? Are they going to find Amy's body? And then we transition to a second MacGuffin of mm-hmm. what's Amy going to do mm-hmm. now in the future when we have our two... It really is two-for-one movie. Mm-hmm. They should have broken up into part one and part two and just oh, doubled, God, no. doubled their take, man. That's, that's Hollywood right there, baby. Fincher's an artist. He wouldn't do that. So the... The date night edition verdict is, this could be a terrible, this could be a terrible first date movie. <laughs> it would be this a, would be the worst movie to take a first date to. Because you, un- you would look at the person next to you and think, you're crazy probably. With almost certainty, this person is going to try to kill me at some point in their life. Right. Or trap me, entrap me into a marriage. Absolutely certainly. Yes. Don't go see it for a date. It's terrible. It's a terrible date movie. It's terrible. <laughs> really is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a very good movie. Uh, but I mean, it, it was uh, as we were describing when I was talking last night. I thought it was a great movie, but I really I didn't love it. I, I was so disturbed with the human condition and the realistic or mostly realistic. I mean, obviously things go really crazy and crazy pants, but uh, it just describes people so bad that it was tough for me to swallow. So. I can see it would be way scarier for a man than for a woman. Yeah. Honestly, because she really is like, I think probably every man is a little worried about the women that they're with. And (laughs) sometimes I think men look at women as very mysterious. There's definitely like sort of cultural tropes around. Mm -hmm. What do women want? What are they really, what's going on inside that brain? What is happening inside that brain? I want to crack it open and find out. Oh. Well, when I kissed you last night, I did feel you up for a box cutter, and you passed the test, so <laughs> I felt safe, <laughs> like you were going to cut me, so. You were looking at me kind of side-eyed. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> when I brought that wand out to wave you down for any metallic objects. Hit you down. Yeah, you're yep, fine. You yep. passed, so. Yeah, I think definitely she's way more terrifying to men. I could see that than women. So, did you love the movie? Did you uh, think it was okay? What What did you overall? I appreciated the movie. I um, did. I don't think I found it as creepy as you did. I found it a little bit over the top, mm-hmm. but I found the book that way too. Sure. So the points where I found it over the top was not the movie's fault, but sort of the plot's fault. Um, I devoured the book and then read, as I said, everything else she wrote. They're all like that. They're just she's just pushing the boundaries cool. of these creepy, creepy women. Neat. And it's it made me makes me think of sort of Mary Shelley, you know, sitting around thinking about Frankenstein, thinking of like the t- most terrifying thing that she can come up with. Yeah. And I feel like Gillian Flynn sort of sits around and thinks about, you know, who. What can I make? It's yeah. like the, just the creepiest thing ever. Yeah. And they're almost always women. Yeah. Um, they're creepy. I think they are, if I remember correctly. It's been a while. Since yeah. Them all. Yeah. So. Well, I can see coming up with an initial idea and then just working off that and increasing the pressure, increasing the pressure, increasing yeah. the pressure. So you really got a pot boiler situation. There's one where there's a, a very creepy sort of 
around puberty young girl that is just this I forget which one that was. Really? It's very, she is very creepy. She's even creepier than than Amy. So yeah. um definitely Gillian Flynn's other novels go even further okay. pushing this sort of um and the women without fail they're, you know, white and beautiful and blonde and you know, mm. it's just sort of the cultural perfection mm-hmm. you know sort of the pinnacle of the best girl you can imagine and underneath is just this sinister psych- sinister psychopath manipulating everyone in her wake Jeez. Yes. as you say it it sounds more and more true too yeah the way you she say it definitely no it's like true in real life yeah, yeah. definitely there's lots of women out there <laughs> we have nothing better to do than to, than <laughs> sit, sit around, around and, and plot for the men in our lives the demise find terrible asshole men and then that's plot right. to kill them that's right that's all, all I do I you know I have a lot going on but I still manage to squeeze it in a couple hours of between plotting between baking cookies <laughs> gardening yeah it's very good and keeping up my Workout appearances re- workout regimen and my dye skincare my hair yeah so skincare takes up all this time yes do, you're the, doing good a lot of beauty regimens women have to do but yeah. in between all that we're often plotting very complicated revenge plots. box cutter slicing motions yes absolutely yeah. don't leave us alone too long got it all right i think that's the end of the date night <laughs> inaugural edition the worst date night podcast probably you're ever gonna hear yeah yeah. Um, this is the first one. This is the first one. The next one will probably be less depressing bad, bad for dating movie. We should have like a rating system for Yeah. For how many date night like would we recommend this as a date movie? Right. We need some clever like date night. We do need some clever scale of some sort. I'm thinking popcorn kernels. Of course you are, because you're still digesting popcorn <laughs> I from so much popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what it could would be, be a... like <laughs> Well, I'm thinking, like, we could actually play off this fact that I eat too much popcorn with butter on it. Okay. So it One <laughs> handful of dry popcorn versus a gallon right. of buttered popcorn? So, like, a good movie would be a window. But I'm thinking, like, trying to play on this, like, too much popcorn, uh-huh. too much butter is, like, the negative. We'll just play. We don't have to have the rating system ahead of time. Okay. Just, like, we'll just, like, play on some trope at the movie theater From the movie. Time. Yes. I like it. The Date Night Podcast of Jackass Critics uh-huh. rates this ate too much popcorn. Yes. With butter. With too much butter. Yes. And feeling a little sick. Bad tummy. Bad tummy. Yep. Yep. Not sexy date night. No, it's not really. sexy date night. Not it's, a sexy It's date bad tummy. Night. Bad tummy night. Bad tummy. But it just like extra butter. It's so alluring. You can't help yourself. That's right. You, you just got to eat more. Do you want extra butter? Who's going to say no to that question? Never. You never say no to that question. Except your tummy is like, all right, dumb dumb. Yes, you ate. So you were stressed out, and you stressed ate the too much butter. That's, that's what happened. That's that's so. the official date night uh, that's the, verdict. That's the right. That's the reading system. All right. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening, everybody. Good fun. Go see a scary movie and have too much butter. <laughs>